Sunday morning, we take a small little text out of our upcoming Wednesday night text. So why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29. Some traditions die hard. <laughs> Tradition. It's an interesting thing how we can get locked into tradition. With, with um, so many traditions, I think there's some really fun, heartwarming traditions. And maybe you have family traditions you do, and uh, I know we do, and it's just kind of, there's, there's a real fun and familial, uh, joyful thing about tradition. But traditions can become sort of strange if they go unchecked. Um, there's a great story William Petit wrote in the Pentecostal Minister how in 1903, the Russian czar noticed that there was a sentry, um, you know, the, the sentry was uh, posted in this really weird place in the, in the main courtyard. It was like he was just standing arbitrarily, and he'd been there for years and years, and the, the czar said, why is there, a, you know, being somewhat of a tech, tactician, you know, militarily, he, he thought, uh, why is there a sentry always posted right there in the middle of the... Um, well, he started to investigate, and they had to do some digging, because that, that sentry... Every day they had a guy go there and stand there. And um, so as it turns out, that this, he was inquiring this in 1903, but as it turns out, in 1776, Catherine the Great found there on that part of the front courtyard a flower, the first flower of spring. And uh, she said, post a sentry here uh, to guard this flower so no one tramples this flower underfoot. It's the first flower of spring. Let's watch it grow. And so they posted a, a century right where the flower was to guard the flower. And then more than a hundred years later, they were like, why is the guard there? Uh, and that was the way. It was a, it was a tradition that just kind of kept going on and on. And it's interesting because that can be the human condition. You know, the human nature is to do stuff and do it over and over again. And there's even something we, I think, enjoy about just the routine and something about the the, um, you know, the pace and the, the, the familiarity that we have, and those things kind of warm the heart. And sometimes we get almost crazy about tradition. And, and sometimes we can even become sinful in our tradition, where we're doing stuff that seems good, but it actually has become really bad. And it can become even sinful. Isaiah the prophet is going to start touching these subjects, and he's got this powerful verse in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Let's take a look here in our text, Isaiah 29, 13. There we read, it says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their feet that their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Now, the first part of that makes total sense. You know, when the Lord says, they draw near to me with their mouth and their lips, they honor me, but they've, they've removed their heart from me. But this last phrase, um, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. I like what the New International Version says there. It, it goes like this, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. Um, man, this is a radical indictment that Isaiah the prophet is casting upon the men of Judah. Now, if you recall, Isaiah was mostly prophesying to the men of Judah, and, and that is the southern two tribes, including Jerusalem. The northern 10 tribes were, in a way, during Isaiah's time, already sort of a lost cause. 
They were about to be conquered by the Assyrian army and they were going to be dragged off, you know, into captivity. But, but Isaiah's prophesying, they're in Jerusalem and it, it seems that there must have been a problem then of people, they were going through the motions of religion, but their heart was far from the Lord. They, they had the appearance of religion, but they actually didn't have a real relationship with, with the Lord and their heart was far from the Lord. And that's the problem. You know, sometimes we can think that we're doing a good job in our worship. You know, um, I, I do love the songs we sing and, and uh, it makes me think when I'm singing, like even the song we just sang, your glory is so beautiful. But, um, uh, you know, the, the idea of worshiping in the sight of God, that it's the heartbeat of our life. You know, we're singing that, but we can sing it but, but do we really mean it? Do we have a real passion and a relationship with the Lord? And, and I believe the Lord doesn't want just automatrons like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland where we're just, you know, doing our thing as church people. You know, I worship you, Lord. Uh, we come to church, we give them our tithe and offering and we're just these robots. That's not the Lord. The Lord wants you and, and he to have that personal, intimate relationship. He loves you and he wants good things for you. And we should pursue that relationship with Christ. And, and, you know, some people say, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My question is, is this, when exactly does your relationship get personal? Do you really have a personal relationship? I hope you do. Because we can claim that, but, but if you aren't having time with you and the Lord, just alone, that's part of that personal relationship. Are you in the word uh, daily? That's his love letter that he's given to us, the Bible. That's part of that personal relationship. Have you spent time on your knees in prayer when nobody's looking? That's that personal relationship. Boy, these are days where we need to be on our knees in prayer, that's for sure. Uh, these times that we're living. But that personal relationship is so important. And that's my prayer for AC Creekers is that we would have um, not just corporate worship that's wonderful, not just corporate Bible study that we're enjoying and being a part of, but that you really develop and, and um, pour into your personal relationship with the Lord. Now, on any given Sunday, when we used to gather and meet, <laughs> we're going to do it again, Lord willing. Uh, we'll talk maybe more about that, but, um, but uh, we're still trying to be patient and waiting. Um, uh, but there's coming a time where we're going to be meeting here again in the sanctuary. And, uh, but one thing I've noticed over the years of ministry is how, um, you know, you can find different kinds of people with different attitudes in the church. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting because I think that some people, we've become so accustomed to everybody just being around, doing their thing, being on their phones and, you know, kind of talking to each other that as a pastor, you know, of so many years, you, you kind of recognize that person's kind of checked out here in the sanctuary. They're not even really engaging. We've, you know, I've seen people flipping through their iPads, you know, looking for properties on, you know, uh, those, those apps that look for houses and, and during worship. And, um, you know, it's a little tough for me to not just walk up and say, dude, why are you even here? You can be out of home. Uh, like, it's almost a mockery to the Lord for us to be worshiping the Lord and you to be flipping through your iPad. But I have to remember, there's a lot of people that might be coming that aren't even saved. Uh, that's one thing we have to remember at Athey Creek. So if you're one of those people that's not saved and you're flipping, if you were saved and you were doing that, wouldn't want to be you uh, standing before the Lord someday. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you can, you can kind of forget, oh yeah, man, we're, we're here to worship God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And, um, 
And it's an amazing thing that um, people kind of forget, wow, this is important. Having that relationship with Christ. And I've noticed that on any given Sunday, you'll find different types of people. And let me just try to quantify some of those behaviors. Um, and the main reason is I, I want you to avoid all of them except for one, the last one that I'll share with you. Um, there's some real pitfalls in uh, your you know, behavior and your attitudes and your actions. And I've seen it over the years. There's an old school church attender and a guy who's kind of made it a life study of what churches should be doing and where we should be going. Uh, jot these down. I've got you know, uh, five sort of people that we want to consider here. Number one, a polite people. God forbid that our relationship with God is simply because we're a polite people. Um, that's, that's one to watch out for. That is, you don't want to make waves. You're just going with the flow. The reason you attend church, the reason, hey, I wonder if there's some of you that are watching this online with your family this morning or with friends only because people invited you or, or you kind of felt like, well, I should probably go watch church because it's sort of the polite thing to do. Or maybe you're, let me give you a scenario. Maybe you're the dad in the family, the husband. And you'd rather be out, you know, working on the car or mowing the lawn or doing something like that. But, well, you're the father, so you kind of need to be doing your role as a leader in the family. And, and your wife, she's the spiritual one, so you don't want to make waves with her. Happy wife, happy life. So <laughs> praise Jesus, I'm going to be watching uh, Athey Creek online this morning. You're the polite person. But that says nothing of your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, it might even be almost more insulting in some ways than had you went out and mowed the lawn. Well, brethren, I'm gonna go mow the lawn. Maybe better. See, I, I wonder if the polite person can think that they're doing something and sort of checking a box of being polite and sort of having a sort of relationship with the Lord when really they're the ones that the Lord might say, depart from me, I, you wicked servant, I never knew you. I don't even know you. And yet somehow because they were polite, in the way that they, you know, the neighbor invited them over and they're just kind of for weeks, months, years have been going to church or, or uh, you know, just doing their civic duty. I know there's a lot of people that are kind of, they put church in sort of the Kiwanis category or the Lions or the, you know, what are some of those other, you know, groups? Uh, um, and they all sit, you know, and think, well, we're doing our civic, you know, uh, responsibility community and all this stuff. And we're doing, we're checking the community box because we go to church. It's funny, the tradition, that, that goes back a long ways. You know, as um, we, you know, sometimes uh, at home we're, we watch something on TV or the news and it gets kind of depressing. So we like to cap off uh, some of the news times sometimes with an Andy Griffith show. Uh, <laughs> you know, Party uh, Five's pretty funny. And so it's pretty lighthearted. We think it's a funny show. But I, I, was, I was watching that the other night and I realized that Andy Griffith during that show, he had sort of this funny attitude toward church in the show as the character. Whether that's true of his real life, I don't know. Um, but it was kind of like, yeah, we're going to go to church and I'll lead the choir or sing in the choir, but these church people are a little wacko. And, and the pastor, we should probably get a new pastor because I don't really like this guy. And, and, you know, it's almost like church was a sort of a nuisance, you know, but he did it because he was polite. Andy Griffith, of course. <laughs> and I thought, you know, you can watch all that, the Waltons, the Little House of the Praise. Even back in those days, there was kind of the thing that, oh, yeah, church, you know, we'll be polite and we'll go to church and we'll do this thing. 
but uh, you don't really sense there, you know, even in the, the, well, what do you expect from Hollywood? I'm just saying it was actually kind of a good snapshot of the culture, uh, the attitudes that a lot of husbands and fathers had about church. And it's not just husbands and fathers. I guess I just use that as an example. But are you the person who's the, the polite person who just kind of has a, a, a going to church and a, a relationship with God just because you want to be polite and you don't want to make waves? I would caution you because you might be thinking you're checking a box, but in God's economy, there's no box being checked. Um, you know, you, you might even think you're going to earn brownie points. Come on, Brett, you know, um, uh, my game's on this Sunday morning. Here I am watching, you know, the service online instead of watching the game. And you think that that's somehow going to get you to heaven? Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, you think that your good deeds will get you somewhere? Our good deeds, the Bible says, my best deeds are like filthy rags. But what's important is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and you should own it. It should be yours. It shouldn't be anybody else's. You got to own it yourself. Don't be the polite person just not wanting to make waves. Uh, that's, that's the first, you know, tradition, by the way. So remember what our text says, you know, um, these people draw near to me with their mouth, they're saying the right things, and with their lips, but, but their hearts, it's a heart issue. Their heart is far from me. And their worship of me is made up of rules taught by men. Um, we'll talk more about those rules perhaps in a moment, but um, the, you know, the traditions of men. Um, you know, the, the polite people. But then you have the poser people. The poser people. That's number two. First you have the polite person. That's almost less offensive, I think, than maybe even the poser person. Who's the poser person? Well, he or she is the hypocrite that, you know, is just trying to maintain an appearance of religiosity and, 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 and trying to get attention because they seem like they're very giving or, you know, uh, spiritual or, you know, people go, wow, look at them, they're amazing. But that's all they are. They're just posers. You know, they, 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 they want to do more of a social gathering just to get together and sort of play church, you know. Um, and, and by the way, Jesus would deal with this topic very pointedly. In fact, would you keep your finger here uh, in Isaiah 29 and go with me to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 15, the first gospel there in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 15, what's the situation? Well, the context of this is kind of cool. Jesus is about to quote our text from Isaiah 29, 13. He's going to quote Isaiah the prophet in our text. And why will he do this about people drawing near to me with their mouth and with their lips, but their, their hearts are far from me? Um, and the traditions of men, uh, what would Jesus be talking to? He'd be talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. These were the religious heavyweights. And um, scribes and Pharisees, especially the Pharisees, they were known to be the guys that checked every box, man. They were the religious pious. Uh, they were the ones who did everything amazing. They'd sit around with their pepper and they'd pour out all their pepper and they'd count one pepper for the Lord, one piece of pepper for the Lord, and nine peppers for me, because I'm tithing of my rue and my mint and my pepper, you know, their spices. They, they literally would make sure that the Lord got a tenth of their pepper. Um, that's how religious these guys were. And, and, and they thought they were pretty cool. And they kept their traditions um, that they had maintained. Um, and, and so they come to Jesus in, in, in Matthew chapter 15, verse one. It says, then came Jesus came to Jesus, I should say, the scribes and the Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Sounds like the COVID police to me. <clears throat> These guys are saying, why didn't you wash your hands, Jesus and your disciples? Now, uh, is Jesus opposed to washing hands? No, uh, that's not the point here. Now, I gotta explain this a little bit because um, the, the idea of the Jews, by the way, before we knew about germs and bacteria and all that stuff, the Jewish law required them to wash their hands uh, and, and that was part of the deal. Isn't it amazing when you look at the, the laws of the Jews, that's why back in the plagues of like the bubonic plague and others, the world was suspicious of all the Jews because none of them were getting sick while everybody else was dying. And so they almost, they, they did, they tried to blame the Jews for the plague saying, these people aren't even affected by it. Why weren't they? Well, now we know they were busy washing up because of their Jewish laws long before they even knew uh, the benefits of washing your hands. <laughs> but here's the thing. The laws of the Jews that came from Moses, 613 laws specifically, but the Jews, they, they said, man, we, we have this propensity to sort of break those laws. So let's, let's, let's make sure that we don't break those laws. And so they started to make commentaries on those laws and write further writings outside of the Bible. Works like the Mishnah and other things. But like the Mishnah would talk about, well, you know, you're supposed to wash your hands. So here's how you need to wash your hands. And so they had this ceremonial cleansing thing that they got into where they'd take half an eggshell of water and pour it on the backside of this hand, half an eggshell of water, pour it on the backside of this hand, and have a certain kind of bowl. And it was just a ritual cleansing. It didn't have anything to do with literally washing your hands. It was more of just a ceremonial kind of thing. And Jews do that to this day. They have ceremonial hand washing. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't meet COVID-19 standards where you're supposed to, you know, sing the alphabet two times or whatever while you're washing your hands. Um, you know, it, it, it's just a little splash, splash, you know, ceremonial thing. And they thought by doing that, they were appeasing the Lord, keeping him from being angry at them. If they, you know, failed, they had it sewed down. But those were just traditions of men. Um, it got worse than just the ceremonial cleansing. Um, it, had, it had to do with things like, um, you know, if you were, you were not supposed to do work on the Sabbath day. So in the Jewish laws, they added to the Bible and they said, okay, you can't wear your false teeth because they, they, your false teeth have weight. And if you're walking around with your false teeth, that, that's actually doing work on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you have to take out your false teeth and, uh, you know, maybe good luck eating jello or whatever on the Sabbath. <laughs> but, but no false teeth. Also, if you had a wooden leg, you had to unscrew it and put it aside on the Sabbath day. Uh, it seems like more work to me to walk around without a, your wooden leg. But anyway, the, the law, you know, it was meant to be broken. That's the way the Jews, you know, it's interesting when you go to Jerusalem, this I've told you about the Sabbath elevator. It, it drives Americans crazy on the Sabbath day because it's an elevator that's set aside for Jews that, so that they don't break the Sabbath because you're not supposed to kindle the, a fire on the Sabbath day. And if you turn on a switch, technically you're connecting the circuit and uh, it's making an electrical charge, which is technically a fire and you'd be breaking the law. So the Jews have all kinds of ways around that. You know, a lot of their homes, they've got automatic timers where the light will just turn on in the morning time. Um, and, uh, and so that Jew doesn't have to, you know, turn it on to, to not break the law. The elevator, you can step onto the Sabbath elevator and it stops at every floor. So you just get on get off and you don't have to touch a button. You don't break the law. Um, man, it gets even crazier. I was uh, driving through the uh, region of um, uh, near Galilee um, a few years back and, and we were shocked to see this huge field and it was covered with pigs 
And I thought, wow, pigs in Israel, that's a weird thing. That's something you don't see every day because it's not kosher. Pigs are not, you're in the, and the law says you're not supposed to, you know, <clears throat> the Jews were not supposed to raise pigs in the land that the Lord promised them. But these pigs were being raised, and I looked closely, and if you look, there, the whole field was, there was a built deck that was two feet off the ground, a little, you know, a, just a deck that was massive, and hundreds and hundreds of pigs on this deck. And I was asking Steve, you know, Ben Yashai, he's our tour guide over there, I was like, what, what's up with the pigs? And he says, oh, the Jews are technically not breaking law because they, and we were both ch- chuckling at this, um, because the, the, the pigs are not touching the land of Israel because they're up on that deck. So they're raising pigs and uh, selling their bacon uh, to, to someone probably not Jewish. <laughs> but, but isn't it funny how the laws, they just figured out ways to just do loopholes. The one final one, they couldn't travel on the Sabbath long distances. So what they would do is they would tie ropes or sheets end to end and tie it to their doorknob of their house and connect it to the house next door. And by being connected, it would sort of be a symbol of being one house. So you could travel between those houses and then you interconnect all the houses in the neighborhood. Uh, Everybody gets out their sheet on the Sabbath, ties to the next house and bam, you've got a network of ropes and sheets and you could walk for miles on the Sabbath because you were never technically leaving your own house. That was the way they they viewed it. So these were, there was the Jewish laws, 613 given by Moses, legit. But after that, hundreds and hundreds of other laws that they added that became the traditions of the elders. That's what Jesus is talking about. So the the scribes and Pharisees, they're like, Jesus, why aren't you and your disciples ceremonial cleansing like the traditions of the elders? You're transgressing, you're sinning. That's what they were accusing Jesus of. Now we know that Jesus never sinned. So even by him not doing their law, uh, they say he's sinning. He's saying, nope. In fact, he turns it back on them. Check this out. Uh, after you know, they said, you know, why do you transgress and your disciples, the traditions of the elders for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Well, verse three of Matthew 15, but Jesus answered and said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? Now pause for a second. Jesus, you know, they say you've transgressed the tradition of the elder, but Jesus says you're transgressing against the law of God, the commandment of God by your traditions. Could it be that traditions of men could actually be a a way of actually going against the, the rules of God? I believe that's a real danger in the church of Jesus Christ, even today. Let me, I don't want to make too much of a point of it, but I probably will anyway. Um, you know, uh, there's a couple that Athey Creek always gets hammered by people and their traditions. Um, and they're just traditions of men. Nothing in the Bible uh, says for us to do certain things. Um, the two of the big ones we get is, number one, is we don't have a cross. Anywhere on our building or on our signs or anything. Brett, are you against the cross? Nope. Love crosses. Are you against churches that have a cross? Nope. So why aren't you a Christian, Brett, and have a cross? You're not a real church. We actually have Facebook uh, critiques and giving us one star because on the critique because we didn't have a cross, um, which is funny to me. And that's, the more that happens, the more I don't want to have a cross here. Uh, it's just my rebellious spirit. But, but it's also maybe, could it be that having a cross in your church is sinful? I would say it could be. Not always. What do you mean, Brett, a cross in a church? The Bible says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Any. 
Any shape, any form of anything from heaven or earth or anything, don't do that. And especially if it becomes sacred and something that is almost worshiped. Uh, I've got pastor friends. There was one pastor I knew, he was gonna remodel his sanctuary. But to do that, they had to sort of remove the cross that had been up there on the back of the sanctuary for like 20 years or whatever. And the congregation flipped out. You're removing the cross. We're not even a Christian church anymore, which is totally nonsense. In fact, the early church knew nothing of the cross as their symbol. If you wanna find a symbol, there's two symbols you could actually uh, legitimately ascribe to the early church, and that was the anchor, and secondly, the ichthus, or that you know, fish, uh, um, where Jesus talked about, I will make you fishers of men. And those were two symbols the church did use, a fish or a, um, uh, you know, um, the anchor. What a great, I like, I like that image, the anchor. But even making an image of an anchor, could be idolatry if you make it more holy than it's supposed to be. And so the thing is, people have this thing in their minds, it's just traditions of men, where you know, people come and criticize a church that doesn't have a cross. I call that sin. If you're criticizing a church that doesn't have a cross, that's sin, and I'll tell you why. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say we're um, supposed to put a cross up to be a legitimate church. Um, now, could we put a cross up here someday? Sure. Um, as long as it's not some idol that everybody's worshiping, uh, is, is it something that can be just an encouraging reminder of what Jesus did for us? Absolutely. Uh, so don't take that. People say, Brett doesn't like crosses. That's why we don't have them. That's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, but I see a behavior where people have made something, a tradition of men that has become sort of sacred. And by making that sacred, I believe that could be sin in and of itself. Uh, let me give another one that's a little close to home. Wearing shorts in the, in the church. There's some of you, uh, I love it. You know, uh, there's people that act like, well, I'd go to A3. One lady told me and Deb, she said, if, if Pastor Brett ever starts wearing long britches, I'll go to, I'll go to A3 Creek. Uh, she would refuse to go because that pastor. And some of you might even have that. I know I love our Russian and Ukrainian group because a lot of the, uh, we have these great young people that go to our church that are all uh, Russian people that are awesome. And they, they always say, my, yeah, my mom and dad, they've tried to come to Athey, but they just can't get past your shorts, Pastor Brett, you know. And, and I understand, you know, the Russian church has a tradition of dressing up and looking nice and like having a cross in a church building. There's nothing wrong with dressing up for church. What becomes sinful and wrong is when you put something that's not even in the Bible about the way people look and are dressed. Bible, now there is, of course, there's things that the Bible talks about, about your, you know, um, your attire, you know, and being modest and stuff like that. And I totally get that. But um, the early church wore the clothes they wore every day. That's what they did. They didn't dress up, get all fancied up so, to impress each other. And even that can become sin when people pride themselves. There's a lot of churches where people are dressed to the nines, but I wonder if maybe, if maybe they don't really have a heart for the Lord really. They, they're just checking the box. I look awesome, I'm going to church, I'm a Christian. And that's not it at all. The Bible says it's man that looks at the outward appearance, but it's God that looks at the heart. And one thing about Athey Creek is we may not be dressed to the nines, uh, but I do have to say our Russian and Ukrainians come dressed really nice, and I, I think it's great. It brings a little class to Athey Creek, which is cool. Um, uh, as long as the heart is right on that, um, then great. You can dress however you want on that level. But what we really concern ourselves with here at Athey Creek is, is your heart dressed up 
for the Lord? Is your heart ready to worship God, to meet the Lord? Um, so many people spend so much time readying themselves at church on a Sunday morning, you know, on their exterior, but they haven't even thought about their interior, what their heart is like. Um, and so you have what Jesus is about to really nail down. Let's finish Matthew's section here, and then we'll go back to Isaiah. So you got Jesus saying, why do you also transgress the command, commandment of God by your tradition? Uh, their tradition itself, they thought it was wonderful. They thought it was holy. The ceremonial cleansing of their hands, they thought this is awesome. And Jesus, that's sin. That's why some of you that are just aghast that I said having a cross could be sin. Or, or criticizing a church for wearing shorts could be sin because it's just vain traditions of men that talk about dress and crosses and stuff like that. Be careful on that one. And I can go on and on with the church. I'm just giving you a couple examples from Athey Creek here. Uh, there's hundreds of others um, that we can talk. We can talk about the traditions of the Catholic church and making statues of Mary and having those everywhere. Man, talk about not, you know, the, 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 making a graven image and people sort of worship, worshiping. When you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, you see Peter everywhere. Jesus is nowhere in the Basilica. I was there a couple summers ago and we were looking for Jesus, nowhere. But you can see Peter everywhere. And I, I like talking about, they've actually, St. Peter's statue there in the Basilica, people go and kiss the toe of Peter and they've kissed his toe clean off, man. The stone is all worn down. He was missing a toe. So they, <clears throat> they resurfaced uh, his toe and put a new toe on. And uh, that one's starting to get worn down now too. They're gonna have to put another toe on him because they kiss the, his toe clean off. <laughs> that's, that's idolatry, that's wacko. We don't do that. That's not what church people should do. And by their vain traditions, they do stuff that is actually contrary to what the Bible teaches. Be careful, Christian. Don't get sucked into vain man's traditions that really go against what the Bible actually teaches. I know for some of you that were raised in more traditional settings, this is, you might, you might think that pastor's a heretic, but I challenge you to search the scriptures and see if what I'm saying is true or false, because I know you have a lot of well-meaning pastors and Catholic priests and fathers who look very holy and talk about stuff, but I would argue that you have to be really careful not to get sucked into wrong thinking. Jesus is talking to the religious guys that looked amazing in those days. People thought the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're incredible, but Jesus is like, you guys are in sin. That's what Jesus said. But then he goes on here in Matthew 15, verse four, and we're almost to get to that quote of Isaiah 29, 13 that Jesus makes here. So he says, for God commanded, verse four, saying, honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Now that is legitimately the law of Exodus 20, 12, Exodus um, uh, 21, 17. It's legitimate, that's the law. Don't curse your mother and father. But you say, Jesus said, whosoever shall say to his father's mother, it is a gift. Or the word there is Corban. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me and honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now pause, we're almost to the Isaiah verse here. But he says, you guys, are, you guys have lost it. You're supposed to honor your father and mother, and that's, you get that. But what you guys have done is you say, it's Corbin, it's a gift. What, what's, he, what's Jesus talking about? This is a tradition that you and I don't really know much about because we don't do it today, necessarily. But um, here's, here's an example. Mom and dad come over after church in Jesus' time, you know, after the synagogue time. 
And mom and dad say, hey, kids, you know, are we going to have lunch? I noticed you had some, you know, some falafel there. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the kids say, sorry, mom and dad, Corbin, Corbin. And why would they say Corbin? It is a gift. They would say those falafels, that food that we purchased, we've already dedicated that to the Lord. Uh, we can't give it to you because it was a gift to God that we gave. Oh, okay. Well, um, can I go sit down over there in that comfy chair? Corbin, that chair. <laughs> Sorry, mom, dad, you can't sit in that chair because that's Corbin. Great. And you're like, sorry, mom and dad, tough bananas. Well, can I at least have a banana? Corbin, those bananas are for the Lord. And they, they had this stupid game that they played um, because of the traditions of men. And the tradition said, if something's Corbin or a gift that was set aside for God, you didn't have to share that <clears throat> with anybody else. And uh, it was just a way to be greedy and not caring. And somehow it was especially uh, hurting families and parents and what have you. So Jesus is calling out this dumb tradition called Corbin. And he's saying, don't say that anymore, um, which is interesting. <clears throat> you say, but I go to Corbin University. Uh, is that a problem? Hey, um, I'm not sure I would have named it Corbin, but <clears throat> I understand it is a gift. Like, uh, as it turns out, Corbin University is a gift uh, that is set aside for the Lord and for the word in the best sense of that word. Um, and I think that's good. So you, yes, you can go to Corbin with good conscience and know that uh, it was meant to be set aside for the Lord in the best sense of that way. But <clears throat> all that said, Jesus here um, finishes up this rap. Now check this out. This is where it gets even heavier. He talked about their stupid traditions. And then verse seven, he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draweth near to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines of the commandments of men. Man, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13 right here, and he just nails them down. He says, you're hypocrites. <clears throat> See, this gets back to my second group of people. We talked about, you know, the polite people go to church just not to make waves, to go with the flow. But the the poser people are the hypocrites that are doing things just for the sake of being seen of men and doing the commandments of men, dressing up fancy for church, trying to make everybody think they're really spiritual because look at them, they're at church with their fancy clothes. Or look at that church, they have a bigger cross than the church down the street. Or, or traditions of you know, this or that or the other thing. Jesus is saying, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Now, the, what's the word hypocrite? Um, <clears throat> the word hypocrite is a great word. In the Greek, it's hypocrites, where the word um, came from, it actually describes something that they would know really well. In the Greek plays in the theater, <clears throat> you know the happy mask and the, the sad mask, those two masks? Um, that's what they would wear, those masks, when they were play acting. And uh, <clears throat> so in those Greek plays, they'd put on their hypocrites. That was the word for the mask. It was a fake uh, exterior. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are just a bunch of play actors in a play, not for real. <clears throat> you're just fake and you're hypocrites. Hypocrites, that's where that word comes from, play actors uh, with masks on. And sad to say, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the church today, if we're not careful, we could find ourselves play acting, putting on masks, lacking, you know, genuine, real Christian faith, but we look very impressive. <clears throat> just like these Pharisees and these Sadducees, man, they looked impressive and people thought, man, these guys are amazing. But Jesus said, you're just a bunch of sinners, play acting, you're hypocrites. 
and you draw nearer to me with your mouth and your lips are saying right things, but your heart is far from me. And you're just keeping the vain traditions of men. God forbid that we get good at being posers. That's the word I use for hypocrite is the poser, just trying to maintain an appearance of knowing what you're doing or acting like you're something. But that's, that's a pitfall. In the church of Jesus Christ, I don't think we should uh, even come close to that. We, we don't wanna be a polite people just politely doing, we wanna be polite, but we don't wanna just do what we do as Christians to be polite. And we also don't wanna do what we do as Christians in the church to be posers for an appearance <clears throat> because we find ourselves being really hypocrites. So that's number two. So you got <clears throat> number one, polite people. Number two, poser people. Number three is another P word, and I like this word, perfunctory people. What? Perfunctory, it's a great word. The, the word perfunctory, if you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary, it means done routinely with little interest or care. That's a great word right there. Do people go to church routinely with little care um, or interest? Absolutely, that's something that happens to people like me who've been going to church since I was a little kid. <clears throat> I don't remember not going to church, <clears throat> excuse me. And in my family, church was a non-negotiable, man. You go to church and you could be very perfunctory in your going. That is going, you know, routinely, but with little interest or care. See, here's what happens to us old timer Christians. You know, we, we go and we sing the song. I've sang this song a hundred times. Uh, we see the same people. I know these people and they're hypocrites. Or we, we hear the sermon, oh, the Isaiah 29, 13 about the lips and the mouth and the traditions of man. Yeah, 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 I've heard the sermon. And if you're not careful, you can be very perfunctory in your you know, personal walk with the Lord. And, and I believe that can be a real pitfall. Just doing stuff because we've always done it. It goes back to just having a tradition of going to church over and over again. And just, yeah, I go to church, that's what we do. <laughs> Man, I hope you don't have a sleepy, perfunctory walk with the Lord. By the way, I got to say this. I, I feel a little bit like I'm preaching to the choir because I love the zeal and the joy that Athey Creekers have. Um, I don't see a lot of that. I do know that it's out there and I've seen it uh, in other places, but I do love the joy and the zeal that people have. Um, we got people chomping at the bit to get back in the building here because we miss fellowship and we love to be in the congregation singing together. And I just love the level of energy and joy that Athey Creek has. It's, it's always been encouraging to me. I feel like I get away with something. Um, you know, I hear pastors talking, oh, my congregation this and my congregation that. But I just feel like, man, I'm getting away with something. I've got like this amazing group of people that I get to be uh, worshiping Jesus with that it's just so... Uh, infectious and I just love the joy and the, the energy there. So I, I really probably am preaching to the wrong person. But I also know that, you know, in these uh, COVID days, there's a lot of people tuning in online who maybe don't even go to Athey Creek, but you're Athey Creekers if you're tuning in. So you're one of us. Um, but man, watch out for that. Maybe you go to church somewhere in Oklahoma or Texas or Florida or somebody. We see people watching from all over the place. If you're one of those people that maybe go because, well, you know, it's the right thing to do. And so you just routinely go to church, but with little, you know, interest or care or zeal, man, you got to guard your heart because the older we get in faith, the easier it is to sort of lose that joy. You know, like Paul the Apostle, oh Lord, restore unto me, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, David said, restore unto me 
um, the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Um, you know, uh, Paul the apostle said, rejoice to the Lord. And, uh, and again, I say rejoice. It's something where he almost like they had to challenge himself saying, man, I gotta remember, I gotta get joyful and remember the goodness of God. So this idea of being a perfunctory people, man, uh, done routinely with little care and you just do the traditions that become sort of vain. You know, perfunctory faith looks like this. Um, when you, you oh, there's communion tonight. I've had communion before and well, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather sleep tonight and take a nap or, but worship tonight, uh, you know, whatever, communion. Or even if you do, you're like, okay, the bread, the juice, you know, whip, wap, zip, zap. And people just do it routinely. And that's what Paul warned about. He said, don't eat and drink of the Lord's body and shed blood unworthily. That is not giving worth or credit, uh, credibility to the work and the act of the communion and as it relates to the cross. One of the dire warnings <clears throat> is that people don't just perfunctorily take communion. That's one of the great warnings, just coming routinely um, with little interest or care. Man, you and I have to come with passion to the table of the Lord and remembering what Jesus did for us and, and calm everything down, focus our mind and say, man, I'm gonna give my full undivided attention to our Lord. That's what we need to really be careful, this perfunctory people um, that just do things out of tradition and it becomes routine. I heard a story of a young girl who was newly married and it came time at Christmas to cook the Christmas ham and she was there in the kitchen, her husband, her new husband was watching and she just quickly got the ham all prepared and chopped off the two ends of the ham, took the chunks, threw them in the trash and then put the ham in the oven. The guy, the young guy says, uh, honey, um, man, far be it for me to challenge or question what you're doing, but can you tell me, like, why do you cut the ends of the ham off and put it in the trash? She, she kind of thought for a second, she thought, well, I, I, I do that because my mom does that. Um, and that's what we always do in my, my, growing up. I watched my mom do that for years. Huh. And they, they were both wondering, I wonder why they do that. So they, they got on the phone and called mom uh, and said, mom, you know, wh why do you cut the ends of the ham off? She said, well, that's funny you should ask. You know, the reason I do that is because grandma, she always cuts the two ends of the ham off. And, and they said, really? Um, and and the, the, the mom said, I, I think maybe it has something to do with flavor or the juices or something. And so now they're really curious. So they said, let's call granny. granny. So they called granny and, and, and granny answers the phone, hello. And, and, and they said, grandma, we were just wondering, why does our family always, why do you, when you cook a ham, why do you cut the ends of the ham off? Oh, she said, sweetie, um, that's so I could fit the ham in my pot. My pot was always too small for the ham. And so that she would put it in there. And, and they realized they'd had this tradition for years that was a waste of ham, but also was something that just kept happening. It was like the century there in the courtyard, the same thing. But all that to say, what are we doing just out of routine that's actually lost its meaning altogether? There in the Old Testament, the, the elders of Israel came and said, Lord, we are coming again. Should we weep and mourn and fast and pray as we've done all these 70 years? And the Lord says, you can weep and pray and fast if you want to, but I don't care about that. What I want you to do is show justice and give to the poor. Um, they were doing these religious things that they thought was pleasing to God, fasting and praying and doing all this stuff once a year for 70 years. And the Lord says, yeah, whatever. I wonder if we do some stuff that's just, why are we even doing it? And it has to do with vain tradition. And we've become, if we're not careful, a perfunctory people. <laughs> Watch out. So we got the polite people, poser people, perfunctory people. 
And then the, the number four are pagan people. Brett, are there pagans at Athey Creek? I sure hope so. I really, really hope so. That's why I'm here. That's why a lot of what we do is, is what we're really trying to do. You see, there's a little bit of a story behind that. <clears throat> I was part of a great church growing up, man, one of the best churches I could ever imagine. Uh, best Bible teacher that I could ever imagine. My pastor, Pastor John Corson, is the, is, the, is the champ, man, he's the best. And I got to grow up with that. And we had worship leaders everywhere. We had like six worship teams and thousands of people coming out in the middle. Just an awesome move of the Lord. And, um, and we got to just be fed. And, and, and so we had, you know, I grew up becoming a Bible teacher and I was teaching youth studies and children's things and youth groups. And sometimes I got to teach the main adult service. Things were just going along great. But then I remember over and over hearing that Seattle and Portland were jockeying back and forth constantly as the least churched people in America. You know, these, these counties up in the greater Portland area was always the, at the bottom of the rung as irreligious. Even today, by the way, Portland still often wins the prize of being irreligious uh, and unchurched. And so I was, I, the Lord just started stirring my heart saying, Brett, you're down here enjoying this wonderful work that I'm doing in Southern Oregon and churches on every corner and everything's blessed. Meanwhile, just, just a few hundred miles north of you is one of the least church areas in America. So we moved up here to reach pagan people. Yeah, Portland's full of pagans. And if you're thinking people dancing and uh, around fires and witches and stuff like that, the definition of pagan is one who has no religion or a non-Christian, according to Webster's. A non-Christian or one who has no religion, or we like to call it irreligious today. And so what's the goal? Man, my goal was to reach the pagan people. Um, there are people who come to church who don't believe in the Lord at all. Do you know that we have people that show up at Athey Creek when we're in the building here that don't know? Um, years ago, I remember one guy came up to me after the service and he said, Pastor Brett, you, you wanna know why I'm here? And I thought, sure. And he said, I'm here. I, I came here and I've been coming here for the last five weeks or so, you know, he said, I've been coming here because I wanted to hear what you, I heard you're a Bible teacher and I wanted to learn what you have to say so I could refute everything that you're talking about because I've been an atheist all my life and I want to learn your arguments. And I said, wow, that's interesting. But he said, you know what happened to me today? He said, and then a tear kind of came down his cheek and he said, I just accepted Jesus this morning. And I was blown away. I thought that's what I'm here for, to, to point people in the right direction, say, look at Jesus. Jesus, the way, the truth of the life. And we've seen thousands of people come to know Jesus over the years here at Athey Creek and people that were once pagans. Man, I wish I could tell you some of the stories. We've got great stories of people who are lost that were found and the Lord has saved their souls. And it's such a great privilege. Now, now by the way, this speaks into something. I have people today saying, Brett, you guys have rolled over and you, you, you've been sucked into Kate Brown and her, you know, evil plan to close churches. And I, I just want to say how short-sighted that is. Um, you're being very short-sighted. Let me explain why. First of all, we're still meeting. There's groups of people by the hundreds, by the thousands right now meeting with us. Yeah, albeit we're, we're doing some of it online, but there's a lot of groups meeting. Athey Creek, pastor, churches, whole thing's happening. So first of all, we haven't forsaken the meeting like some people accuse us of. Um, and by the way, forsaking the assembling yourself, that'd be saying, we don't wanna ever meet ever again together. Athey Creekers are saying, man, we just can't wait to get back and meet. So we haven't forsaken anything. 
Secondly, we, we're doing our best to, to do what we can to comply with the laws of the land. Now, the, even that's debatable. I agree. The Constitution gives us the right to meet whenever we want to as a church. I agree with that. And do I think Kate Brown has the right to do what she does? I don't really think so. Um, but why are we complying then? I'll tell you why. Because we want to be a good witness. We want to be a good testimony. See, we could be that church that some of you guys have, you know, a guy on Facebook said, I am no longer going to attend Athey Creek because Brett is just like all the other, you know, rolling. I'm glad that person's not coming to Athey Creek because you're the last guy I want in my congregation. I'll tell you why. Because you're the kind of person that said, let's just meet and we'll blow away everybody in Portland. Here we are, one of the biggest churches in Oregon. And if we suddenly just say, shine all you people and, you know, Kate Brown, all this, we're going to be the church that is just kind of a goofball church and kind of look wacko. And uh, we're not a good testimony. We're trying to be sensitive to people's fears and whatever they're all talking about. Do I believe in all the stuff they're saying? Not really. But, but do, I, um, do I also want to be a good steward and make sure nobody's getting sick here and all this? Sure. But, but here's the thing. One of my greatest concerns is that when all this stuff is, when the dust settles from all this, I want people that are pagans down in Portland and all around us to, to not chalk off the church of Athey Creek as where they can come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd rather be a good witness and have pagan people piling in uh, because of our sensitivity and being kind to them. That's the goal. If we just take the route that a lot of people have suggested, we'll become that church that, you know, everybody's like, oh, that dumb church, and we're not going to be a part of that. Um, and so I'm just saying, let's be good witnesses while we can. Now, there is a line. I'll, I'll admit that. There is a line where finally we'd say, you know, they're, they're taking away our constitutional rights as a church. Have we crossed that line yet? Well, guess what? Our elders, and we have a leadership team that has spent time on our knees praying about the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And, um, and we feel very strongly right now that the Lord's wanting us to hold, just to be still, wait. So we're praying for our leadership of our country and our, and our state, and, uh, and we're trusting that the Lord's got a timing, and that's what we're doing. And it's mainly because I hope, you know what? I'd rather have more than some of you know, the people that are poser people or perfunctory people or uh, even polite people. Give me more pagans than all those others. Um, because guess what? It's much easier to talk to a pagan than a poser. Jesus talked about this when he talked to the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation chapter two and three. When he talked about the Laodicean church, he said, I would that you be hot or cold, but lukewarm, I will spew you. The word is vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Um, that was the Laodicean church. And see, that's the reason why I'd prefer a pagan over a poser. Um, you know, because the poser is the person that's acting like a Christian and seems to have it all together. That's a hard person to minister to or speak the truth into. But a pagan, a person who doesn't know the Lord, an unbeliever, man, now there's something we can work with. So be careful if you're one of those people going around telling pastors what they should or shouldn't be doing. I think you should be careful because first of all, you're not a pastor. And, um, and I'm not sure that a lot of these people have said what they have, have been on their knees like my team of pastors and praying and seeking the Lord about what is our goal and what is our objective? Our objective, Jesus said, go out into all the world and protest? No. Go out into all the world and rebel against the Roman Empire? No. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of men. And that's what we're doing. And under this current lockdown, what, what's really cool 
is we're seeing more people than ever coming to Christ, even though there's nobody in the room right here. It's an amazing thing. So what I think Satan is meaning for evil, we're actually seeing the Lord turn it around for good. So I'm just saying, Lord, we're gonna be patient and we're gonna wait as long as you want us to. Selfishly, do I want everybody back in the room? Absolutely. But I'm trying to be patient and say, Lord, your timing, your way, your will. By the way, I think 99.999% of Athey Creekers are on board with this. And I, I get that from a lot of people. A lot of people are saying, Brett, we're on board. We're, we wanna be in the room together too. But we also want the Lord's will to be done. And I'm so thankful to have a congregation that gets it and that is praying through this season. And, uh, and if you're one of those people that are really angry, man, I can recommend a lot of other churches that you could go to. And I'd be happy to give you that direction uh, uh, because um, I'm sure there's, you can find some angry churches out there that are rebelling against Kate Brown right now. You, they're out there. So man, God bless you. That'd be great. But give me the pagans, give me the unsaved, and let's preach the gospel uh, till we can't preach anymore. That's the goal. So you got your, your, your you know, polite people, you got your proser people, you got your perfunctory people, you got your pagan people. These are the different kinds of people that will come and gather uh, in the church. But here's the final and the last one that I, uh, is the positive one. This is what we all should wish to be, hope to be, pray to be, and that is a passionate people, a passionate people. Now, how do we be a passionate people that comes to worship the Lord, not as posers or polite or perfunctory or pagans? The passionate people, it goes back to our text. Jesus said there's people who come and draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, but their heart. This is where we get to the main issue of everything. But their heart is far from me. Man, it's all about your heart. Now, in the Old Testament, the word for heart is leb in the Hebrew. And it means, um, it, it means really, it's, it's like the deepest seat of your emotion and where you feel. Um, sometimes the Bible even calls it your bowels because that's where they felt like your feelings came from is your bowels. And they even use that word, you know. Um, uh, but, um, but it's that inner man that has the, pa the passion to do the right thing. And he says, oh, that your heart is far from me. Let me give you some heart scriptures that are important. You can just jot down this, the address of these scriptures uh, and look them up later, but I wanna just go through them quickly. Romans 10, 10, you know, I always quote Romans 10, 9, where it says, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, it says, you will be saved. And then it goes on and says, four, verse 10 of chapter 10, Romans, for with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. See, it's not that you should never say anything, the mouth is speaking, but the problem is, is when the mouth is disconnected from the heart. But when you connect those two, confession from the heart through the mouth, it says that confession is made to salvation. That's where righteousness comes from, is by the confession with the mouth and belief in the heart. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in, in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Did you know that that's where good worship actually happens is when you're singing songs of praise to each other. A lot of times we think singing worship songs is only to the Lord. Not so, it can be to the Lord, but it's mostly it seems to each other. We're reminding each other of truth. So it says singing, making psalms, spiritual songs and hymns, um, singing with grace in your hearts 
um, to the Lord. Man, that's so important. That's where it comes from. A good worship service doesn't come just through your lips, but it goes through your heart, then through your mouth. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38 says this, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Loving the Lord with all your heart. Man, I think it's so important for us to have that relationship with Jesus where you take, don't let your heart be divided to all these other things in this world, but totally given to the Lord. That's Matthew 22. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this. It says, as a, a man or woman purposes in their heart, so let him give, not begrudgingly, but as it says here, um, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful, the Greek word for that is hilarion, where we get our word hilarious. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. Ha, this is great. I get to give of the Lord. Give to the Lord of my tithe, my offering. And it should be a heart of joy that gives. If you're giving begrudgingly, oh, we better give the tithe and offering, then it'd be better to not give at all. You're sort of undoing the benefit of just honoring the Lord with you. See, we worship with songs from the heart, but also we worship the Lord. One of the highest forms of worship, by the way, is by giving. And when we give of our tithe and offering and it comes from a heart of joy, that's, that's the, the whole thing that works. That's the thing that's a blessing and honors our Lord. And it comes from a cheerful heart. It's all about the heart, you guys. That's the important thing. The Lord wants a passionate people. Um, one more scripture, Hebrews 10, 22, and speaking about how the church is supposed to gather. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, here's the problem. Naturally, you and I, our hearts are full of sin and wicked. Man, we're about to get into the book of Jeremiah here. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That's the heart of man. That's the bad news. The good news is the Lord's a heart surgeon. And I love what the scriptures say. He'll take your heart of stone and he'll replace it with a heart of flesh. And he gives us a new heart because um, our heart is cruddy and messed up and dirty and deceitful above all things, desperately with wicked. Who can know it, the Bible says. And by the way, be careful. You know, there's a lot of people out there that sound so wonderful and everything. I'm just following my heart. I'm just doing what my heart is telling me. Don't run from your heart because it's desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Unless your heart has been totally changed by the Lord, then you can start saying stuff like, I'm gonna go with what my heart's saying, but make sure that that heart is a renewed heart, a regenerated heart, a heart that's replaced by the Lord because otherwise your heart is deceitfully wicked, desperately wicked, uh, deceitful above all things. Um, by the way, some of you might be saying, Brett, that's great. I wanna have a heart that's passionate toward the Lord. I don't wanna be a poser people, a, a polite people necessarily, or a perfunctory people or pagan people, but I wanna be the passionate person, but my heart is sort of far from the Lord sometimes. My heart does get involved with other things and I fall in love with stuff I shouldn't. And I, my heart is toward things that are unseemly and wrong. How do I get that new heart or that fixed heart? I love what Psalm 119 uh, verse 11 says. David answered when he said the, this question, by the way, he says, he says, thy word have I hid in my heart 
that I might not sin against thee. I believe the beginnings of that new heart transplant and the renewal of your heart happens when you get into the word, kind of like what we're doing right now. In fact, I would argue, hopefully, that one of the benefits of you and me sitting here going through the scriptures is the Lord's just slowly chipping away at your heart and mine as well. As I'm talking about biblical things, you know, for some of you, the idea of not having a cross in the church, no matter what I say, you're gonna say, yeah, Brett's wacko, he doesn't have a cross in his church. But I'm wondering if the Lord's just ting, 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 chipping away at that heart of yours. Somewhere your heart is passionate to say all churches should have crosses. But the Lord is starting to chip away at your heart and realize, man, if we're not careful, we can make idolatry out of a cross. And, and, and it's something you don't have to have to be a legitimate church. Uh, and, and pretty soon your heart will start to be more about Jesus and glorifying him and not about the cross that's hanging behind the pastor or out on the sign by the highway. You see what I mean? It's, it's a heart change. And, and how does the heart change? Thy word. It's the word. It's not Brett's opinions that changes your heart. It's not some, you know, book that you're reading other than the Bible. It's, it's, it's thy word that I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's where it's at. Hey, if you're one who's saying that's what I want, you know what I love about the Lord is just one quick prayer and confession away from renewal. Remember the prodigal son who did all that horrible stuff, leaving his dad, taking the inheritance, living in the pig slop. But when he finally came to his senses and said, man, I'm gonna go and apologize and be like a slave in my dad's house. He starts coming home and while he's still far off, the dad runs out, kisses him on the neck, robes him with a robe, all of which is a great picture, by the way, of the Lord. When, when you come, say, Lord, forgive me. The Lord runs out. It's the only time you see God pictured as being in a hurry in the Bibles to forgive us and to robe us in his righteousness and to feed us, uh, killing the fatted calf like, calf like the, the prodigal son got. It's just one prayer way. And that's the answer for all of you. If you're an old timer Christian that's become a perfunctory person in Christianity, Lord, forgive me for just being routine about my faith. Help me to renew a right spirit within me and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Are you a polite person? You know, I'm kind of doing the Christian thing because my wife really wants me to. Oh, Lord, forgive me for just doing things because I'm trying to be polite and not make waves. Help me to have a real relationship with you, Lord. Restore my relationship with you and make it mine, not someone else's. Man, the Lord will hear that prayer. And he'll, you, right now, you can be brand new and start. If you're a pagan, same. If you've been walking in paganism where you say, I don't believe in God, I, I'm an atheist or whatever, but you, you know that what I'm talking about is true. Man, you can just say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me for all my sins. You repent of your sins. That means change your mind and say, I know I'm a sinner. And then you say, Lord, I believe that you dealt with my sins. And this is the, the way of salvation. Romans 10, verse nine and 10. We, we talked about that earlier. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, it says you will be saved. Forgiven, saved, headed for heaven, you're a Christian. Being a Christian has so many meanings in our culture and our world. Some people, it's people that go to church or people that vote for Donald Trump or people that do that. That's not it. A Christian is a person who's a sinner who says, I'm a sinner. That's the repentance, changing my mind. I know I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of, of God's glory. And then says, Lord, but I wanna be saved and forgiven. So you accept the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's what saves you. Would you bow your heads? All of us bow our heads together. Let's just uh, close this service out. 
if you're one who just uh, knows you need to become a Christian, you've yet to do that, you've never really confessed your faith in Christ, let me help you this morning because it's super easy. The Lord will hear this prayer if you just pray honestly from your heart, um, not just through your lips, but from your heart, um, then your heart will be close to the Lord and you'll be forgiven um, if you want to. What you do is just pray this prayer with me and it goes like this. You say, Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins and rose up from the grave. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And now help me to walk with you as a Christian in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you just confirm your love and your forgiveness and your grace to these people who've just confessed you. I pray, Lord, that, that your whole church would just be passionate for you. Lord, forgive us for going through the motions. Forgive us for hypocrisy and for um, just going with vain traditions of men. But help us to have that right spirit, right behaviors. May all that we do be done heartily as unto you and not unto men. Bless your church today, Lord, as we close out this service. I pray that everybody that's here watching online would just be renewed and encouraged and blessed as we close out this service. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.